Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I just want to look like a wizard. Mission accomplished. Or <laughs> one of wizards. Wizard. <laughs> Was, is it one of wizards who tried to engage the race west, or was that Slade? No, Slade. <laughs> it was. Oh, who's the guitarist? Oh, super Yob. Uh, Dave Hill. Dave Hill. It Dave Hill? Yeah. It is Dave Hill. Yeah. He tried to get engaged. Race west. Yeah. Free Fred. No. While she's in prison. You were joking. Britain. An ancient kingdom with legends of violence, cruelty, and torment in its blood. Join your hosts, Ross, John, and James, as they bravely tread where few would dare. Witness their journey into the horrific history of British horror. They are... The General Witchfinders. Welcome, everyone, ladies and gentlemen goblins and ghouls to the second episode of the general Witchfinders podcast i'm james in bournemouth on the south coast of england i'm john pountney and i'm still in the south of way in south wales which is in the south of wales do you want to do that again no i like it okay uh i'm ross in dorchester in south of england and today's episode we're going to cover the curse of frankenstein more than a hundred years ago in a mountain village in switzerland lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. A legend that is still told with horror the world over. We've only just started. Just opened the door. But now's the time to go through that door and find what lies beyond it. But don't you see, Paul? We've discovered the source of life itself, and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead. This is Frankenstein, who revolted against nature, who experimented with the devil and was forever cursed. His unwilling collaborator was Paul Kremp. 
I can't prove you murdered. But I can stop you using his brain. Why? He has no further use for it? <laughs> Only two women ever entered this house of evil. Elizabeth, come back! Elizabeth, the lovely cousin who had promised to marry him, and Justine, the maid, who kept passionate and secret rendezvous with her master. Won't you understand you're in real danger? What Victor is doing is dangerous to everyone in the house. Now, you cannot possibly conceive what dreadful thing he's planning to do. What are you trying to tell me, Paul? That Victor's wicked? Insane? Wicked? Insane? Evil? Call Frankenstein what you will. A demon had made a man-made monster. And now, the monster was the master. Paul, what are you going to do? For your sake and to protect Elizabeth, I've so far kept silent. But now I shall go to the authorities and have them destroy that creature. And see that you pay for these atrocities. No! Nineteenth century Switzerland. On the eve of his execution for the murder of his maid, Baron Victor von Frankenstein confesses his story to a visiting priest. As an orphan teenager, the Baron engages scientist Paul Kremper to tutor him and they begin collaborating on scientific experiments. After successfully bringing back a dead puppy back to life, Victor suggests that they create a perfect human being from body parts. Paul assists Victor at first, but eventually withdraws, unable to tolerate the continued scavenging of human remains, particularly after Victor's fiancée slash cousin comes to live with them. Peter Cushing, who was then best known for his roles in British television, had his first lead part in the, in the movie with this film. Meanwhile, Christopher Lee's casting resulted largely from his height, which is six foot five, though Hammer had earlier considered the even taller six foot seven Bernard Breslau for the role, best known from his uh, carry on roles. The Curse of Frankenstein premiered in London on the 2nd of May 1957 and was a monstrous success, grossing more than 70 times its production cost during its original theatrical run. Thank you very much. So there we go. Mm. Nice. So, we all watched the film? You know, I don't know what... I mean, my feeling was, this was kind of... All of this could have been stopped if only everyone wasn't so well-mannered and so <laughs> sexist. <laughs> Like the amount of times it's like, I can't tell you. Just tell her. Just tell her and this all will stop. I can't possibly say that. Go to the authorities and just say he's he's killing people and he's using their bodies. End of, end of problem. Yeah, and also, End of problem for yeah, all of well, you. We'll, we'll get to it, but why don't Paul just leave? You know, rather than just... <laughs> there are numerous times. Yeah. So we start we start the film yes. um, with my favourite shot of the film was the... Right at the very beginning, when the priest was going along on the on the horse with an amazing yes. bit of map painting, Paint, uh, painting, lovely, yeah, <laughs> it was really nice. The padre on his little donkey was yeah. walking into the painting of uh, somewhere that looked nothing like Switzerland whatsoever. Yeah, to try try to give like some sense of like the grand scope of this film, which is actually going to be filmed in two rooms, and they go into uh, seeing very much, I think, an inspiration for Silence of the Lambs as he walks past. Um, yeah, the uh, the various people inside their um, cells yeah. shouting out to him and none of them um, can smell his <laughs> um, oh sorry we can't put that in oh um, come on come do on. not put that in I said to Beck at that point this is when they were making films to look beautiful 
you know, they yeah. every shot mm. was set up to look at this point in the film. I felt to look cinematic. It wasn't there wasn't yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. any um, pretense of trying to make this look real or anything. It was just I no. just loved the the way he was in shadow. We had the shape of the um of that sort of the vault as Sally was in, and then we had the first uh, of many throttlings in the um in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Throttle heavy. Victor starts throttling the priest. I can't remember exactly why, but then I realised that the whole time that throttling was happening, just the guard was watching him through the <laughs> yeah. the hole in the door the whole time. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> Lots of mixtures of accents going on at this point, and like you said. None yeah. of them are Swiss yeah. at all. It's a bit of Cockney, um, uh, English uh, upper class. Um, but this is then when we transition back in time to an episode of Ain't Off Hotman. Hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> you're getting ahead <laughs> you're of ju- yourself here. Jumping way ahead there, Cleves. First of all, I, I just have to point out, as usual, as often with uh, sort of Hammer horror films and things such as that, there's like a preamble at the start, a setting of the scene. I might like it. It says it said at the start, this tale has been told with horror for, for centuries since. I'm like, it's never told with levity, is it? Well, with the exception of young Frankenstein, no one goes, tell you what, this is going to crack you up. This is going to crack you up, this story. It's always told with horror. And maybe also, we're but, doing but, it tonight, though, fellas. Me, well, maybe so. And also, second film in a, in a row, the classic gothic font. Yes, yeah. very nice, yes. And I was going to say, does 50s to 70s horror naturally suggest itself to a gothic font? I think all the time, yeah. Yeah. I was going to stick a few factoids in. Okay. Go for it. So it's the first ever colour horror film. Oh. In the world. Yeah. I I I thought it was the first colour Frankenstein, but I didn't realise it was the first colour horror. First. So it's the first time you've seen blood, red blood on the screen in a horror film, which I think is quite interesting and exciting. My notes are the music is a bit pedantic at the start. The actual opening Mm. theme of the film is very dreary. It's not the same as as Dracula 89. It really isn't the same as that. But the, the, the tune of Frankenstein does scan over the name Frankenstein, but I can't remember the, the intonation of the words now. The production design, Ross, is by Bernard Robinson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the early the early kind of mise-en-scene of the different sets, and particularly that set where he walks through and then he goes into the cell, that is all beautifully put together. Yeah. And it actually makes the film look a lot more expensive than it probably was because you're right to say I realised that as I was coming towards the end of the film I think there's only three location shots in the whole yeah. film yeah, which, which is pretty nuts really. I felt like the, the prison was brilliant Yeah, and there was only a, a small number of um, exterior shots when they went to the, uh, the funeral and so on mm. um, Well that's not an, that's a set with a it? painting oh, yeah, okay. yeah 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 and you got the the lab, of course, but the yeah. the set of the house I felt was quite boring. It felt very yeah, te- televisual, yeah. very small. Yeah, the, the opening uh, of it, I, I, I was I was thinking, oh, this is going to be good. When I saw that first mm. map painting, when we saw the entrance through the the prison, mm. it was a uh, it was it was going well at that point. I think it's a really good framing device to open the film with Peter Cushing straight away. Wham bam! You're straight into the mm. storytelling aspect. But that's uh, pretty much that's what's in the book. It's it's with him telling the captain on the ship, isn't it? And, and yes, in the uh, Antarctic or the Arctic, which is always good. But you always know that that person's going to survive if they're telling you the story. Well, does he survive? I've though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I got down here. Uh, to- Tommy Cooper is the jailer. <laughs> he, he wasn't a natural actor, was he? No. He wasn't. A na- and he, this man's raving. I thought, ah, oh, how language has changed. 
like go in touch the lasers <laughs> Fabio and Groove Rider <laughs> whenever I watch a film like this I like to imagine the kind of extras and kind of whatever they call them these days you know the background artists mm. in the 50s leaving the studio getting in like some kind of 1950s car and just driving home through the streets of London in the 1950s and I like to imagine their life outside of the film yeah, it's a, sort see, of take you know, away the boring actual <laughs> Watching of the film. I I didn't find it boring, Ross, oh, to be okay. honest. Right. Oh, dear. Another another one he doesn't like. <laughs> the thing that I've noted down here is that he when he starts to recount his tale, I know he's supposed to be arrogant. And I know, yeah. you know that's the, the, like the folly, but he starts talking about his own life. And I thought, who does this? He goes, oh, well, you know, as a young man, I always had a brilliant intellect. <laughs> and immediately, as, you know, I am a teacher, you know, that's my job. I immediately thought, I'll be the judge of that young man. <laughs> Don't you say, just straight away, oh, well, I've always been brilliant. Have you now? Really? Okay, sure. And then, as for saying, I've written in capital letters, young Melvin Hayes Claxon. <laughs> because we should point out for people who aren't from the British Isles, that Melvin Hayes was a, a stalwart of a much-loved... Uh, Early 1980s, late 1970s, late 70s, early 80s, eighties sitcom Mm. called It Ain't Half Hot Mum, in which, uh, well, we won't go into It Ain't ain't Half Hot Mum now, we'll be here forever. But that's enough of a horror to have its own episode. Indeed. And, you know, alongside the legend that that was Windsor Davis. Anyway, so that's how he's best known. And so to suddenly see him as, you know, a callow youth, was you know it's a it's a moment isn't it i think it was um, a, another actor who was um probably cast for his size we we need a short man at this point because yeah. i didn't see much of a resemblance to um peter cushion at no, all there's no resemblance at all well um i've recently through watching talking pictures in the daytime mainly mm. last year was also made aware that um melvin hayes is in a lot of cliff richard and the shadows yes yes yeah, some yeah, holiday, has- holiday. Yeah, as a stand-in for the shadows, because the shadows in the first few films couldn't act. So they brought in Richard O'Sullivan, uh, one of the shadows, and Melvin Hayes as a shadow. And he's got bleach blonde hair in all the films. And he's in like three films as one of the shadows, but he isn't one of the shadows. When you're talking about our, our, our listeners across the seas, we do have a listener in the United Republic of Tanzania, apparently. Do we really? Yeah. So hats off to you. Sir or madam, whoever you may be. And did we have two two listeners in Benelux, did you say, Cleves? Yes. Belgium, or one yes. person that's listened twice. Yes. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. And what do we what do we say to our Belgian friends? Bonjour. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry we Sorry. left. Sorry we left. Then we then get this amazing thing, like we find out that his father long since dead, uh his mother has passed away, thus making him the young baron, and then his the man who ends up becoming kind of like his contemporary, but he first turns up as his teacher. And then once again, for me in the profession, I thought, oof, there's there's a few sequences here in which I would have thought there's, they, they would trouble a CRB check. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Because we're told in the montage, there's a part when he, we see him teach biology and yeah, he's teaching him electronics. And then at one point he bursts in to see him while he's shaving. I thought, oh. There was a point when they look at a model of the lab, which I think was probably what they used for the art department to work out what well, it was yeah. actually going to look like. Yeah, yeah. And then he then says, we probed into the unknown together. I don't know what, did you now? Did you now? 
And then, you know, as they, they then show you sort of like the passing of years. And what is great is that to show you the, the uh, aging of Paul, he just got a beard. And that's pretty accurate. All three of us here, you know, when we, we knew each other in our 20s, did not have beards. Now we all do. Yeah, some, Correct. Some, one of us looks more like a wizard than the other. <laughs> but then... But then with that, kind of like the fade was the jump went from Melvin Hayes into Peter Cushing. And I've written down <laughs> that homework must have been bloody hard <laughs> to age in that much. Well, there was one scene where Peter Cushing had a kind of big, big wig on that kind of bridged him. <laughs> it was like it bridged between Pertwee and Baker uh, in like a regeneration sequence. But then Peter Cushing just becomes Peter Cushing. So I looked up at this point, the fact that Peter Cushing was actually nine years older than the guy that's playing Paul, who is supposedly the older. So I think Cushing was born in like 1913 and Robert Urquhart was born in like uh, 1922 or something like that. It's it's just, it's it's rubbish really, that part of it, isn't it? Um, They do try and grey Paul's hair a bit as well, I noticed, but it's a bit kind of, it just looks like paint, grey paint. And then, like you, Ross, I had highlighted the fact that he then says, oh, you know, we, we then started to sort of push the boundaries. And as you said, he then says, oh, look, he's got like a little model of the lab replete with beakers and conical flasks. I thought, no, they're not strictly necessary. But it looked nice, yeah, didn't it? Looked it looked lovely. lovely. Yeah. I thought that he's definitely getting a level nine or an A star in old money for his design and technology GCSE. Well done. CDT. You made a little house, didn't you, out of cardboard box of all windows of all the things you liked. Uh, um, that that was for art. Mm, for art. That's nice. That was art for pop art, and a bunch of ruffians then smashed it up. Yeah, they uh. fire, fire paper clips through the windows, didn't they? Yes. Oh Thanks for that, Ross. <laughs> it reminds me of when I t- came back to school after the summer holidays and everyone was carrying Roman temples made out of toilet rolls and things like that. And I was like, shit. I think I'm about to do this, something. This film reminded you of that. <laughs> well, this, this conversation reminded me of that. All right, okay. That's, uh, moving away from, from teenage tra- and childhood <laughs> trauma. I'm sorry. We then see that they're doing like the first experiment in reanimating the dead, right? And I have to say, in terms of the sound and the sound design, I've written down, this sounds like a lot of experimental gigs and art shows that I've been to. <laughs> yeah. James, were you there when when John was a, a brain in a vat for a philosophy lecture? Uh, no, you've told me about no, it. No, we got a, a cauliflower, put it into a, um, a, ju- a, a vat. A vat. Uh, with some dry ice and um, yeah. wires. There was, no dry, there was no dry ice uh, in this. In my memory, there was dry. So then John sat, I was, sat underneath I was, the desk. With... I was under a desk talking through a, a, a like a ring modulator to make my voice go like Doctor Clive, Doctor Clive. And then he he did a whole um, wrote, read out his um, presentation about why we know we're not va- brains in fat. Because I knew what I'd written was absolute rubbish. I thought the only way I can pull the wool over anyone's eyes is to turn this into a performance. Yeah, and. Uh, I, I don't think I succeeded, to hey. be honest. Well, do you know what, though, John? Is it, that's that's a, like the, the world of philosophy for me right there. A lot of the time, it's, <laughs> a, it's a lot of people talking a lot of rubbish, and then they just turn it into a bit of a performance. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah it's you a know, man it hiding was, under a table. Yep. There you go, perfect. And Gilbert Harmon, <laughs> who was the philosopher who came up with the brain in a vat thought experiment, fact fans, by the way, yeah. I'm sure he, he, he would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> 
He was there, James. So it's a success, and the puppy comes back to life. Yeah. Um, and then what's this? This is the bit. This this is all kind of like the madness. There's a, along with the whole, as I said at the outset, the whole kind of British manners, the 1950s manners, kind of mm. making the horror continue. The other thing was, part of me was just like. That's not how science works, everybody. <laughs> Look, you know, it's like, were they just trying to bog things past the audience or what? Because the best of it is, is so let's just go over the monumental thing these two have managed to do. They have managed to reanimate dead, dead, dead <laughs> tissue, right? They've conquered yeah. death. Right at this point, you're, because it's Switzerland, you're marching yeah. down to the the, no, the Nobel Committee, going, "I'll have all the prizes, <laughs> thank you very much." But then he goes, "Oh, this is marvelous," and he goes, "No, it's not enough. It's not enough <laughs> yeah. to react to defeat death." No, I think <laughs> what do you want, man? Yeah, I think they needed to have some kind of um, reason why he wanted to go that far. I, I but, seem to remember the Ken, there was no, a, Kenneth, a Kenneth Branagh version of this. Didn't his mother mm, yeah. die and uh, yeah. in childbirth or something like that, and and that that sort of led him to mm, want to yeah. be able to bring the dead That's back. That's a very modern take on storytelling, Ross. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, but <laughs> I, I, I watched... you don't have to have a reason to re- reanimate a dead puppy. It's just doing it for the for the, the fun, <laughs> for the love of the puppy, for the bounce. And... I did watch this with my. Um, <laughs> nine-year-old daughter uh, who's yeah. a great a, parenting a big top, top a, well done sir well you know it's a, she's it's a, big, a 15 that's a 12 she's a oh, big is it? yeah yeah it's not scary is it she oh, but okay. she doesn't doesn't like blood at all so um oh, God. we'll come to that later on um one of the scariest things she's ever seen was um, someone punching Kevin Costner in the face and giving him a nosebleed. It just freaked her out. Um, the, but I was, she, she's a big dog lover. Um, and right. I was just hoping oh. that she didn't work, work out that they, they probably did kill a dog in order to film the no, bit where... No, they didn't. There was a dead, the, the dog was dead in the... In the it, um, it in the wasn't. Vat. It's a stuffed toy. No, it Pop it. <laughs> Oh, uh, my notes on this scene are the main thing which I thought was hilarious that the the fantastic It's Alive Colin Clive mm. 1931 Frankenstein line is used in this scene and it's about a puppy that just wakes up and kind of shakes itself which is a, a real kind of underselling of the uh, of that line and my other kind of thing was that uh, what interested me with this film to start off with and it it's kind of interesting, but it doesn't really go anywhere, is that there's no hero in the film, mm. that the main mm. character is the baddie, and yeah. Paul, although altruistic, is just a bit of a wet lettuce. Yep. Yeah. Just and keep saying, don't like... do this, but doesn't do anything about yeah. it. <laughs> don't do this. I'm going to stay living in your house. <laughs> um, I'm going to chat up your wife. I'm, I, in, in the end, I'm going to leave with your wife, yeah. as you yes. were uh, decapitated. Um so it's it's a bit morally it's a bit of a weird one isn't it where mm. it's not like it's a very modern um, to... reading of the film there john <laughs> yes they then decide right okay what we're going to do as we said in the synopsis at the start is we're now going to build the perfect human and once again this is my now hang on a minute you know brainiacs you're brilliant enough to be able to reanimate life but you're not brilliant enough to realize that skill does not reside in the hands 
So, oh, so, so they get the body of a guy who, who we told was a highwayman who'd been terrorizing. Oh, I like that bit. That was a good bit. Yeah, yeah. Right. They so, cut so, him so, off the goes, gibbet. Oh, yeah. Yes. And they go, and then you go, Victor Frankenstein says, oh, look at his hands. He couldn't have been anything else but a criminal. It's like, for those of us with larger hands, you're like, oh, all right. Don't judge me. But wasn't that Don't sort of scientific me, um, sort of thinking at the time that this was being made? Yeah, like, no. like fruit. No, no, no. Wait, look, because this is what I was going to say, Ross. I had a look. This film came out in um, 1957. They discovered DNA in 1953. Yeah, but this is... <laughs> Come but on, I man. I thought that had a lot, to do, a lot to do with eugenics at that point, and I thought that was yes, quite... Yes, like Lombroso weird, and all of that sort and it's of stuff. Like, yeah. Someone with big hands can't, you know, sculpt and whatever. Um, have you got big hands, Cleves? Yeah, James is bigger than mine. <laughs> what, what, I, what I also liked about the gibbet scene where they cut the corpse off the gibbet is the fact that someone has come along and handily put a really massive spotlight on the gibbet <laughs> so, so they can see what they're doing. Yeah, you would And they put... <laughs> so they're in the middle of nowhere, in the, in the middle of the night, and it's got a massive searchlight on it that looks like it's looking for zeppelins. Um, but Peter Cushion really, really climbed up there, though. I thought that was pretty... <laughs> pretty dead oh, i like it that. does look re- it does look really cool but the lighting is is just uh very silly for that because it's obviously not mm. realistic i mean we're talking about uh a, a, a film with a reanimated puppy so it's obviously not going to be strictly mm. uh i've got a quote here scientific um, yeah. which i think came from this part of the film let him rest in peace while he can uh, while he can i yeah. wrote that yeah, down yeah, as well yeah, yeah and i wrote down hands of an artist the perfect physique and the mature brain of a genius. <laughs> it's, I think it's like the three of us, that, isn't it? If you put them all together. <laughs> yeah. Who, who's who, though? Cleaver's the physique. <laughs> James is a genius, and you've got the hands. James is the eye. brain, and, I, and I've got hands. We then have that kind of sequence of basically him harvesting body parts mm. to make his yes. perfect human, inverted commas. Although, intersped with that, we then get the arrival of his cousin who hold up a minute we then find out he's going to get married to and what i've just put here is did they learn nothing from the spanish royal family <laughs> my, my daughter asked me at that point can you do that and i was like no oh, i don't know no <laughs> don't do that jerry lee so lewis sp- the killer did it didn't he yeah he did <laughs> it's a good point well made but yeah so but then we then also find out chased across three states <laughs> he was the the uh, Victor from Frankenstein is also basically given it to his maid. You know who knew he was he's, he, he was such a such a Lothario. It's very interesting. Poor Justine. Yeah, he's very he, he, the way he acted with her was completely different from the rest of the. He's like a completely yes. different character. Yeah. There. Um, well, it, what... <laughs> that, that was the only time he sort of came across as someone who was actually quite evil. Whereas the other alive, time, yeah. <laughs> I what thought... I've written down is that that part basically is the relationship between Rene in a lower low and all, <laughs> and, and all of his female staff. Maybe Le Bon. Yeah, because she sounds exactly like, oh, Rene, <laughs> oh, Victor. Don't call me Victor. Call me Hair Baron. <laughs> Hairy Baron. Hairy Baron. You stupid woman. <laughs> Oh, if only Gordon Kay was in this. So the Baron c- continues his kind of... Reign of terror. Of, yeah, of just kind of scouring Europe for the very best in body parts. Mm, what, well, the charnel house? 
Yes. Yeah, and then he the then municipal says, charnel house, yeah. which I really liked the sign <laughs> oh, on the Yeah, wall. that's right. Not the national charnel house, just the, just the local <laughs> one. Uh, and then when he gets kind of like the uh, the head, the replacement head that he's going to put in the massive fish tank that the yeah. uh, the body is being stored in, um, he then says, oh, look, you know, he, he looks pretty stupid, doesn't he? But, you know, we don't, yeah. we don't get to see this. Mm. But he says, don't worry, the features will assume wisdom and understanding. When yeah. you put a genius brain in there, and once again, I've written that's not how that works. No, and also, <laughs> you don't look clever. You know, oh look, you look gorgeous now because you're clever. But we did see when he hacked off the the other head because it'd been the birds had got it. We see them put it into the big vat of acid, which a lot of people massi- mass- massively signposted that that you've got to take notice of the fact that something will go in there and it'll be gone within thirty seconds yes. or whatever. As Breaking Bad used to great effects many many years later. <laughs> Inspired by Curse of Frankenstein. Inevitably, I should think so. The final piece, the zenith of all this, is that he gets, like, who we're told is, like, the most intelligent man in Europe to come and hang out and drink sherry. The only person to bother putting on some kind of accent. Kind of accent. Yeah. I missed. Did they say why he is he was he a science genius? Was he what what was his field of expertise? Did, did they I say? fast forwarded that scene because it's such a boring scene. <laughs> I've seen this film quite often, and it's just this old man droning on, and his wife is being coquettish. I was interested in the fact because he had got quite a few teeth missing, which was quite gruesome. <laughs> Hmm. Uh, but allegedly man. though yeah. but then allegedly we've, we've just been told that a genius brain will make someone have beautiful features yeah. Yeah. very strange sort of like um sort of comb back afro hair um, yeah his hair was mental then paul comes back yes yeah and says you gotta stop this this is madness yeah. man and so yet again if he just goes into the town and goes my friend yeah. has been stealing body parts <laughs> yeah. please just go and you'll find it it's in his laboratory Go and look now. But it's a cash cow, though, isn't it? You know, you, you don't want to... For, the, for this part, I've written Lover's Tiff, uh, question mark, question mark, Victor and Paul, and Urquhart yes. is awful. And I think he is absolutely <laughs> awful in this film, isn't he? He's, yeah. His performance yeah. is fag paper thin. It's one-dimensional. There's a line he has to deliver, which is she would be incapable of conceiving of such a shock, which is just <laughs> yeah, the yet most... again, yeah mangled <laughs> stupid rubbish and i don't know if it's someone in 1957 trying to write as if you know for how he thinks victorians would have thought or if he thought that jimmy sangster is this is the writer or maybe he thought that women still felt like that in 1957 i don't really know but um urquhart is just uh the pits really and he was never in another hammer film and i think i read somewhere online that he walked out of the premiere because he was so disgusted Ooh. by the film i think the reason why he walked out he was so ashamed of his own performance <laughs> at that point. hot take <laughs> the hottest of takes from the 1950s Clevia, you're down with all the modern lingo tonight yeah, he is he's He's got he's got young children, hasn't he? So I know. He knows yeah. what's going on. The Baron then um, shiftily take the old guy up His to bed. His genius plan is look at this picture <laughs> at the top of my stairs. This is barely one story up. This is where my art historical um, a BDI comes in. The painting is by Rembrandt, and it's the anatomy lesson of Doctor Nicholas Tulp, and it's from 1632. Ooh. So it's an actual real painting. It's a very Famous painting. It looks better if you stand further back, though. <laughs> well, I was about to say, and then my notes are the wisest man in Europe, but also its most gullible fool. 
<laughs> see false fire. Oh, if you if you just stand back just a bit, to... you'll be able to see the picture better. <laughs> what? Well, I can't stand the profile back because this is the smallest set. <laughs> Look out, man! At which point he then like turns round. He like turns 180 degrees for some inexplicable reason, and like uh, Peter Cushing pushes him over the back over the uh, stairs. But it was a pretty good fall. Looked pretty nasty. Obviously, a completely di- different man hit the ground. Indeed, but... yeah. I put I, I put that he de-aged 70 years during the fall. <laughs> but he hit the ground though. His head he he landed face first. Yeah. And this is where my wife said, "Oh, he did a full scorpion at that point because his legs <laughs> backed up over his back." But apparently the, um, the the stuntman missed the mass on the floor and added bits, yeah, yeah. And, and hit the real floor and almost killed himself at that point. Yeah, I've written the fall is genuinely sickening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what the band? <laughs> yeah. Lex- of on a Frankenstein uh, working in a lab uh, with a Tesco agreement. Uh, there, that's my Marky Smith. Right yeah, he falls and it looks like he's genuinely broken his spine. He probably did. We've missed out a part where there's a nice close-up of Peter Cushing looking through a magnifying glass at like a dead eye. Yeah, which just, is yeah. then parodied. It's parodied in um, Top Secret, which I sent you the clip yes, of the other day, did, didn't Ross. I? When they do the whole backwards scene. I think your response was, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I did wonder what it, what you'd sent me. But then the reverse of the shot is a close-up of his eye looking through the magnifying glass, which I thought mm. was very clever and a, and a nice directorial touch mm. from a director, Terence Fisher. But the eyeballs were probably one of the scariest parts for my daughter, just seeing. Oh, really? Eyeball. To see a oh, real yeah. eyeball? I think it was probably yeah. like a... So yeah, I said to her, don't worry, it's only it? probably a, a, a pig's eye or something. Yeah. I said there was a, And I said, there was a boy at our school when we dissected them, turned one inside out on his finger and was licking it. <laughs> I remember in my school, a boy called Robert Hartwell fainted, uh, walked out of the class and fainted in the corridor <laughs> when um, I think the, the teacher pulled a uh, fish's eye out and, and started dissecting it. Do they still do things like that in school? I'm not sure. On the, I, th- I think there, there may be uh, I, possibly frogs still get dissected, mm. but oh, I'm not really. Yeah, 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 but I'm not sure on eyes. Our teacher oh, inflated a, 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 a pig's lung until it burst in one lesson. Lovely. <laughs> of course, Ross did go to school in Tudor, London. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. So back to back to the plot. I, I too have written down that you know once again as John was highlighting, he, he says to uh, the the Baron's cousin, who is now his wife, "You can't conceive of what he's doing, let alone try." Which I thought was the most horrendously sexist. And then I've just written down. He's reanimating the dead and grave robbing. <laughs> and I thought, that's not that difficult, is it? There you go, that's what he's up to. He's reanimating the dead and then he's stealing dead, dead body parts. There you go. But I think that the shock would have made her faint. Shocked her, James. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. Cold compress all round. Yeah, you know, and all of that business. Yeah. A bit of black humour where the friend of the dead doctor thanks Hair Baron for. Um, put in the body of the dead doctor in his own family vault, which is a mm-hmm. nice touch uh, and made me laugh. And then nighttime falls. Baron Frankenstein is in the tomb, opens up the coffin and extracts the brain of the departed doctor. Paul comes in like a cricket bat on legs <laughs> with, with all the acting presence of a bush. 
um, comes in. They have a very badly kind of conceived fight. Lo-fi tussle. And then the brain. Yeah, they look a bit like they're pushing each other outside a pub at like half eleven on a Friday night, and then basically the the brain gets smashed against the wall and uh, and gets lots of glass. Which reminded me of one Christmas where Beck was trying to um, get the we cooked a, a large gammon for Christmas meal that, that day, and well, a, a Brexit voting yes, exactly. person, and it was all lots of. Running around in the kitchen, and I, I reached to a cupboard above where she was just preparing the centerpiece of the meal, and and pulled a yeah. glass out and was smashed on top of the um on top of the dinner, and she just <laughs> so the, the Christmas dinner for like eight ten people was just covered in broken glass. Um, Beautiful. So she just said, "Just leave." <laughs> Scenes from a marriage. The glass was picked out and served up with, without without telling anyone that it had broken glass on it at some point, and everything, everything was fine. Was fine. No, that, no one was hospitalised no that time. Wait, when she said just leave, did you actually have to leave the house, the country, just, just the room, just the room, okay. while she picked broken glass out of her um, out of the dinner? Uh, this is a this is the point when um, also speaking of my wife, she realised we weren't watching Dracula. <laughs> Yes. Well done, Beck. Um, she said I wasn't really paying attention. That's excellent. But I should point out that I had noted in that vein that it took 18 minutes for anything horrific to happen at all, and which is quite a long time in a horror film. I've written that at the 40-minute mark, there's been no real horror. Yeah. Re- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, just kind of yeah. uh, The great line that Good I've written point. down is that uh, he, uh, the Baron says, don't worry, I can repair the brain. And you're like, no, you can't, mate. Yeah. Just get you, 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 you can no, barely you do anything, mate. You think that <laughs> skill resides in hands. You are now op- operating on the most complex thing humans have yet encountered in the universe. If, you, if we see the state of Christopher Lee's face later on, yeah, we know he's not a particularly <laughs> he's good not surgeon. a genius. No. And then also the fact that he's been dead. You know, the genius has been dead for hours. Even if you reanimated the mm. brain, it would be less than mush. But anyway, that's that's no besides oxygen. Yeah, exactly. Well, I did. I did question um, when he'd gone to Leipzig to get the hands of a dead sculpt sculptist or whatever, and had carried them all the way back from Leipzig in his hand luggage, yeah. um, and then it's like presents them to Paul like look I'm at these at hands, and then it, it's like. <laughs> It's taken you two days. Like, you couldn't keep a chicken breast <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a handbag for two days and then cook it, let alone reanimate it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So our next scene is the creation scene really, which is kind of underplayed to start off with. There's a there's an approaching thunderstorm which you which you see nothing of at all <laughs> because so far it's been totally set bound. So then the body is in the body as in the created the you know creature. perfect man that he's created, the creature wrapped up in bandages in is in this big kind of bathtub glass sided. Yeah, bathtub. I said that this is the invention of the hot tub. Yeah. Well, that's basically what I've written. So it looks like there's a bit where he's turning these two big taps and it looks like he's turning on a jacuzzi because <laughs> all, all these bubbles start coming out. And I expected him to tip in a bit of Radox as well while he's at it. <laughs> you can eat yak. I've created life, but also Legionnaire's disease. <laughs> so then there's a sequence where he realises that he can't work the machinery that he's he's developed with Paul single-handedly. Oh, I didn't get that. No, no, there's a scene where this happens. So he goes to Paul and he says, you must oh. help me, Paul, and you're going to do it. Uh, I, you will help me. <laughs> but then at this point, Paul's in a, a very fetching red silk yes, uh, dressing gown. And I did question at this point whether the red was symbolic of stop, Paul meaning <laughs> stop. <laughs> Um, stop perverting nature. And there's a bit where... I must have tuned um, out all this bit. I can't remember any of this. <laughs> Peter Cushing says, a bit like um, John Pertwee, when he calls the Cybermen the Cybermen, <laughs> he goes, I can't do it myself. <laughs> Who's, who says myself? myself. I'm going to start doing it now. I, I can't do it myself, which is a very kind of English, posh, old-fashioned way of saying myself yeah, isn't it myself yeah. and then this is the point where where um victor turns nasty and machine that he's invented which up to this point 
watching this today, I've never really thought about this before. It's this kind of two wheels spinning together that's kind of making static electricity and then it's going into a battery, which is which has got these kind of red pulsing lights. I have never thought about that in my life before, that that's what was actually happening yeah, at that if he point. St- if he held on to it, well, his hair would have stood up on him. <laughs> but that none of that actually seems to work because then there's lightning strikes it and that's what sets off the creature. So it's a bit of a weird... Does this mean that Victor thinks all along that he's been successful in creating this monster when actually it's just a, a, an accident of the lightning that has actually brought it to life? Serendipity, yeah. Maybe yeah. he just needed the extra power. That was only enough to get a puppy previously. 1.21 gigawatts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe it's just thoughtless bad it's writing. It's also um... highly possible. <laughs> <laughs> I've never read Frankenstein to... Was the lightning in Frankenstein? Or I've never read the book. Dovetailing beautifully into what we're going to talk about in a bit is that obviously this film was a 1950s modern, in inverted commas, updating of the classic Universal horror, you know, the James, yes. the James Whale Frankenstein, as it were. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But of course, the whole deal is, is that in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, he's really into um, the creature, whose proper name, of course, is Adam Frankenstein. Everyone, oh, Frankenstein, no Frankenstein. Way. Yes, yes, if you didn't know that. In, in the book, it says, he no. says, I will take the name, I will take the name of the first man, for I am like the uh, first, oh. so I am Adam. And I will also Ooh. take the name of my creator. So he's Adam Frankenstein. Yeah. But anyway, they are fact yeah. fans. Uh, but it, within all of that, as you might be able to tell, <laughs> he's clever. He's really intelligent. Yeah, right. yeah, so yeah, this whole yeah, notion yeah, yeah, yeah. of oh, even though it's a damaged genius brain, the whole notion that the poor genius mm. is just like going, and like it's suddenly like this, <laughs> and all he wants to do is kill. Now you can make a really sophisticated reading of it and just say, oh well, it's you know human, the essence of human consciousness stripped back down to the id or something like that. But at the same time, it's just like, mm. why is it that what, when being given life, he just immediately wants to kill all the time? It seems so weird. I've got a, th- a theory on this, yeah, James, on. and I think that I I thought about that, and I think it's because the first face that he sees uh, the creature now as he's re- as he's brought back to life is the last face that he saw as he was being pushed off oh. the balcony <laughs> by, make by, quite cross. by Peter Cushion. That is a good point. And obviously, way. he's he's uh, he's yeah. going for him. So uh, there was a know, good shot if, though when they sort of they open the door. And the yes. creature's stand there, and there's a little bit of a sped up zoom up into it. Right. Yeah. Well, it's a sped, it's a sped up dolly shot because I don't think they even had zoom lenses at that point. So the camera is on a on 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 a track on the floor, and they've pushed the camera physically towards him. But then that's sped up as well, which I think works really really well. And then Christopher Lee does this kind of weird gesture across his face, pulls the bandages off, and the you know the makeup is revealed as Bad. being. Yeah. Well, and I've in terms of his look, <laughs> I've just put down Paul McCartney yeah. after a heavy session on the Jager bombs. <laughs> but he said he looked like Dudley Moore. His the hair does preempt the mop tops, it you does, know. Because yeah. once again, this is not you know this is the fifties, and he then the Beatles right, wigs. And I should point down as I was as I was watching it, this is one of the main thing that I thought about is that I was lucky enough that I went to see in the theatre Danny Boyle's version of Frankenstein that had Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller and they took it in turns to be either Frankenstein or the creature they swapped so they played Mm -hmm. both roles thus highlighting the whole kind of dualism and 
you know, he's a mirror of what he created and all the rest of it. Now, at the start, they showed you this whole thing. It was, it was amazing. The night I went, it was Johnny Lee Miller as as uh, Frankenstein, Cumberbatch as, uh, as the monster, which was great. And I think probably the best uh, combination to mm. see. But they showed you at the start that, like, they said, oh, um, in order to get his face, you know, like the facial intonations and his movement, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch spent weeks in a stroke recovery ward. Looking at people, yeah, right. looking at people's faces and their actions and things oh, such as Jesus. that, based on the notion that you would have to relearn how to work, mm-hmm. walk, and move. And they really kind of highlight this from the moment he's, you know, like when he, he first comes into, comes back to life, his movements are really dreadful and they're kind of monstrous. But then as the play goes on and his muscles begin to work again, you know, he moves around, he moves around better with, with more, with more alac- alacrity. But then, Watching yeah. this, I was just like, what did Christopher Lee do? Christopher Lee just basically just looked at a load of people getting really drunk. <laughs> That's all he does. He just goes, oh, he just sort of stumbles around well, he, drunkenly. He looks, in that first scene, he looks like someone's basically tied broomsticks to his arms and legs. So he, so he can't, he just can't bend his arms and legs, which I suppose is a bit... Yeah, I bet it was nice for people recovering from strokes to have Benedict Cumberbatch Cumberbatch come and stare at at them. (laughs) I'm going to be playing a monster. I need to look at you. (laughs) Victor Frankenstein. um, 50 minutes in and we first see the monster. Tries to strangle him straight away. As as we've discussed, I think it's because the first face he sees is the face the of the man, man that's was, tried that to... That is a good point. ...has murdered him. I'd take that on board. Um, yeah. And then then we um, then we have... This is... Ma- some great throttled acting by... Um... Yes, yeah, yeah, we yeah, have yeah. some more throttling. Yeah. What, who won between who um, did the best throttled face? I think it was Peter Cushing, actually. So we did do a poll on our Twitter, which is General Witch One. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we compared uh, stills from Peter Cushing being throttled by the the creature and uh, John Pertwee being throttled by the, the nesting consciousness. Was it John? It was yes, yeah. correctly <laughs> from Spearhead, Spearhead from Space. Spearhead from Space, Episode Four. Oh, okay, um, but the very... only Doctor Who story ever to be shot totally on sixteen millimeter film. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good knowledge, <laughs> that mate. That's good knowledge. Anyway, sorry, John, I, inter- I interrupted. What, did you? Yes. Oh, so basically, but at this point now, Victor Frankenstein tries to start gaslighting Paul and basically says at every point, this is all your fault, Paul. You're your fault. <laughs> if you haven't taught me so well, that's what thanks you get. I've done it. I've done everything up to now wrong, but because you smashed the jar against the wall, this is why his brain's a mess now, you idiot, Paul. So Paul does some more terrible acting. The creature gets away, doesn't it? You get the classic Frankenstein out in the out in the wild. Yes, yeah. And then this is when my daughter got very upset because um, she she was aware that there was going to be a blind man and she doesn't like the idea of dis- disabled people being hurt in any way. So she's always going to hurt. It's going to hurt the blind man. Hurt the blind man. I said. I said. No, I don't know if there's not... a blind man in this one. And then then the, then the crankies t- came out of a bush. <laughs> <laughs> and the old, the older cranky was was blind. I was like, oh, maybe he's going to get hurt. So, and, yeah, and, so and the kid a... was ginger. 
So it's the classic um, horror film uh, trope of you cut from this kind of uh, frenetic action to this kind of pastoral scene of Switzerland. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, the grandfather sits down, starts talking in a Welsh accent in the middle of Switzerland. (laughs) Of course. And then obviously you have this kind of disastrous sequence where the monster comes and kills them both, which is riffing on this the the famous Boris Karloff scene where he throws he sees Daisy mm. Yeah, he sees Daisy's floating in the lake and he and he thinks the little girl will float, so he throws her in and she doesn't. She drowns. So it seems like they mashed those two bits together but removed any of the, the good bits, like the conversation with when with the, the blind man not realising it was a monster. That was le- that was lost. The whole idea of the innocence of the child and the innocence of the monster, that was lost. All we saw was Christopher Lee kill the um, blind guy. Do you see him kill the, ba- the boy? The little no, boy? they, they insinuate it. Yeah, you see, you see his satchel. Yeah, you see his mushroom satchel left on the floor. You see on. his ginger uh, Russ Abbott wig on the uh, leaves. <laughs> what I like, he comes out and he's like, why is he in a ginger wig with a stupid hat perched on top of that? It's ridiculous. Apparently they painted the leaves as well. Um, to make them oh, uh, look, like look more Swiss. Uh, yeah, <laughs> make it look more autumnal. <laughs> there was a cuckoo clock there. I did note down at that point, it's only the second bit of location shooting since they, they cut the man off the gibbet, which it doesn't feel, to me anyway, mm. as claustrophobic as that. It felt very televisual to me because it was it felt very studio-bound. Yeah, interesting. Compare it to like um, the Dracula film we watched on our last episode. Yes. That felt... Yeah. So much more, even though it's 1970s shitty London, it felt yeah. more cinematic because it just oh, felt, a lot more, yeah, yeah, a lot more cinematic, yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely. but then uh, Paul and Victor turn up with their rifles or shotguns, and Paul kind of drops in with a shot, doesn't he? Like, like, it's oh, that was less dramatic than I thought it was going to be. He then stands in a very kind of action pose with his hand on his tip and go now now what are you going to do about this picture I was like, he looks, he's, he's quite pleased with himself yes yeah i'm a little teapot well i did read that the the, the scream of pain from, was real from christopher lee because the squib went off in, in his eye um yeah i quite like that scene because it, the the there's quite a nice shot where you see the 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 leaves kind of lift and blow up as he stood there, and he's he's quite distant from the camera, and then they shoot well, him. Yeah, but he did, the... it did act, to me. It looked like when you come across a, a non-playing character in a computer game, and they're just sort of like standing, waiting for you to get near, so that then they would then go into whatever they're what they're programmed to do. Programmed to do. Yeah, because he was just sort of not doing anything. It was. Yeah, it was weird weird that he was kind of just stood there. It's quite spooky. It's quite eerie, that scene. Uh, (laughs) Just chilling out in Black Park again, as usual. Um, But then obviously he's shot. I think they bury him there because that's not suspicious at all. Yeah, they suddenly got spades. Yeah, (laughs) they dig a massive grave in, in... just in the middle of nowhere and bury a body. But then obviously later on we find that Victor has has gone, dug him up himself, got him back to the castle or whatever it is himself, then goes into his laboratory kind of lockup room himself and finds that the monster is hung from a hook on the ceiling. Who, who, how has he got up there? Who's hung him up there and how is he going to get him down again? There's no Igor in this film and there needs to be an Igor in this film. <laughs> that's that's Igor's job, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's Igor's job. 
Daniel Radcliffe plays Igor in a, a Frankenstein film, which is on. Oh, the, that's dreadful! That's really absolutely awful. atrocious. <laughs> but uh, uh, modern horror films are really very unwatchable and unlikable, aren't they? They're just mm. like that that kind of horror film where it's ninety percent CGI and it's like. A steampunk London, and it's oh, oh. it's just a load of shit. I think shit. one of the issues I got with this Frankenstein film is that we're at a point now where this story is being retold so many times. Yeah, yeah, where, yeah, where yeah, yeah. I'm, I think we are so used to like people having a different take on it because mm, yeah. because because they have to take put a different spin on it now in yeah. order for it to be be interesting. Jumping ahead to my conclusion on this, it felt to me very much Frankenstein by the numbers. Because, mm. it, like I said, it was probably the second time there was a, a popular film of it. Uh, so mm. yeah, definitely, there, there was yeah. no surprises yeah. for me in it, in it no. apart from things which I thought, oh, well, I've seen that done better in, mm. in, the, in the Karloff one, you know? <laughs> I think for me, the only unique part of it was the makeup. And I was joking earlier when I said... It looked awful. We watch a program called Face Off. It's like Bake Off for like for special effects makeup. <laughs> and one of the things they're always talking about is the the edges of the of any kind of a prosthetic. Yeah, you put yeah, on. yeah. And yeah. there's bits of that where it was yeah. just peeling off, and it was like, oh, <laughs> didn't look. Good. However, I did like the look of it, and I was thinking, yeah, that's a that's a, I wouldn't mind dressing up as that at a Halloween sometime. You know, <laughs> I think I could pull it off. <laughs> you're never going to get the iconic uh universal no. frankenstein however when you think well, they about they weren't they weren't allowed, allowed to, to were no. they? but yeah. when you think of it the christopher lever shit is probably closer to what something like that would probably look like something yes, disgusting so. you know putrefied yeah mess rather than very like a... dead like dead mottled flesh really yeah yeah and the bit when he the bit at the end when you've seen that he's had brain surgery and all of the top of his hair has been shaved off and there's a big scar on his mm. head that looks that does look really horrific and i think to think in 1957 you know only 12 years after the end of the war mm. first the first color horror film of all time mm. you know i think it would have really put the shits at people yeah yeah, yeah 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 well um yeah. So where were we in the story? So oh, so we're building to the climax. Is um, he he then also uh, sort of sacrifices his uh, you know his bit on the side, the maze. I know. Just because, because she d- threatens to do the obvious thing that someone should have done from the start, which is yeah. go into the town Dob and just in. go, hey, <laughs> unless he's unless, up... unless he marries her, because, because he yeah. she's um. She intimates that pregnant. She, yeah, she's pregnant, yeah. and um, yeah, and he promised that he'd marry her, and he said, "Yeah, he just laughs at her." Yeah, oh. that I think that's for me. That's when he comes across the nastiest men. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, that's like you said earlier. That's when he becomes across as most evil and kind of shrewd and manipulating and and cushion as well. I think that's when the performance is the most interesting because it's not the kind of usual cushion performance that you expect where he's just quite gentlemanly all the way through but it did feel very again like a a theater set that she seemed to be living under the stairs and like in the cupboard (laughs) i did like that part that you didn't see anything about that other than just a doorway did you that she came out of but then she goes he tricks her to go into (laughs) into the lab and locks her in there with with the creature 
presumably she's put in the uh, in the deep fat fryer. Yeah, exactly. With, um... You think so? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then there's an amusing, uh, and this is quite a famous amusing kind of line. Then where we've just seen the horrific murder and the. Uh, Baron and his wife are sat at the breakfast table and he says, pass the marmalade, darling, or something like that, which is obviously meant to puncture the um, horror, the horror of what we've just seen, which it doesn't really do to modern uh, audiences, but I think it was quite a popular kind of laugh in 1957. Well, just to break the tension, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. And then we 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 find straight away that they're to be married only a week after he's murdered his servant. Um, and he's hoping that Paul will come to the wedding because there's something I'd like him to see. See, yeah. Then we have a a very misplaced comic bit with a guy (laughs) pretending to do toasts and drinking punch Uh, out of the bowl. That's awful. Totally pointless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, absolutely no points to that scene being in the film at all. No, no. So it's a pre wedding night, isn't it? And it's a party. They're toasting the. Well, supposedly he's a meant to be doing the toast but then we're told that the wedding is going to be tomorrow uh it's just rubbish that part mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i know that a lot of things were cut by the censor um what in the 50s <laughs> I, yeah well the, the he throws the head into the acid i think that you see the whole head go in and dissolve in oh, the original print okay. yeah. But I think this this scene is much more horrific and it should have been this that's cut because mm. I just think it's, it's dreadful. I, I can't remember how we get from this to the climax <laughs> on the roof now. It's a very jumbled narrative now, isn't it? Where The wedding happens, Paul turns the up. The wedding doesn't happen. I don't think the wedding... Does the wedding happen? It does because he goes, right, my, my dear, now I must get back to work. And she goes, on our wedding night? <laughs> mm. And he goes, now come along, my dear. We're not two, <laughs> two star-struck young lovers. Oh, yeah, that's right. Even though he's supposed to be about 20, isn't he? It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and so he just basically fobs her off. She's clearly, yeah. you know, like his beard, even though it's his cousin. You know, So he's like, oh, yes. yeah, I'm off. I've got to get back so to work. So he's 25. Goes, Can she's I come 14. into the lab? And he's like, no, don't be silly. A woman in a yeah. laboratory. So I think then, does Paul come back at this point? Yes. Yeah. Um. After the party, Paul comes back and then the gaslighting of Paul continues uh, yeah. where, again, it's stressed how it's all Paul's fault, even though it isn't. Um, and then I think there's a, a, another bit of a scuffle, maybe. Oh, no, I tell you what happens. They go in and see the monster yeah. and he's been having a doze behind the, uh, you know, in the stable or whatever it is. The monster gets up, he walks forward, he sits down and Paul is like, this is... Your perfect physical being, your ex, blah blah blah, and obviously, and, and we find that he's been training him like a dog, like he's going to enter him for for crafts, walkies, walkies, roll over. This is I put. I was thinking, where does he crap? What? Where does? And does the, does the creature know how to take his trousers down, do it, and bring it back up, or does Victor have to go and do it for him? Surely Ross is the only man in the world who's ever articulated that thought. But Surely. did the censors cut the scene where um, Peter Cushion's wiping Christopher Lee's bum <laughs> with a bit of straw? So, um, so, um, <laughs> so they have a brawl, they run out, they run outside and they run into a garden that looks like the garden at the start of 
from Russia with Love when um, Ro- <laughs> Rosa Klebb is teaching Robert Shaw to be punched <laughs> in the stomach. The stomach. <laughs> and then um, all the lights flash on and there's a big house behind them. So it looks like basically exactly the same garden. In the meantime, Elizabeth goes in the lab and I think that part works quite well and they don't make enough of it because she looks really incongruous in the lab because she's got this massive Victorian dress on. Mm-hmm. This big lamp and and it's a really lovely shot, but they they then make nothing of that. Then she walks through, blah, blah, blah. And then I think at this point, the monster has escaped. Well, the monster's look peeping through the window. And the right. bit of, yeah. Bit of glass so monster. he's he's pulled his chain off. Like slop out of the goonies. <laughs> It, it, he's pulled his chain. That's how he goes to the toilet, obviously. Ah. And then um, she looks up past the massive vat of acid. She doesn't seem to question that. Like you say, sees the face peeping in at the skylight. He taps a bit of glass down. She goes, who's there? And then goes to look and see who's there. Scaramancha. If that happened to me in a laboratory, <laughs> I would go in the opposite direction. Um, it's there. It's 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 Paul McCartney <laughs> trying to recover from the critical mauling of uh, Magical Mystery Tour. <laughs> oh, John Lennon, it's a drag. Um, Great. There's really good, really good suspense music in this part. I thought, and then um, it all happens really fast, and they're like, oh, he's on the roof, and they sh- on, shoot at him, or they do they, something, or they, Paul they runs burst off. In. And... They, they burst in. He fires the Baron fires to try and kill you know to, to kill yes, the monster right. and hits her hits hits shoots his, his, his own wife slash yeah. wife <laughs> and oh, you know she drops down and then it goes out onto the roof and then I wrote down least climactic finale yeah. ever he just goes leave me alone leave me alone <laughs> and, then, and then sort of throws a paraffin torch onto him and he, get, and he yeah. gets set on fire and he goes yeah. fire then falls from the roof into <laughs> the acid falls bath falls through the skylight into the acid bath and, oh, and disappears yes so then, told. at that point I was like this is the end I, I, I remember this to be the end but then it isn't the end because there's like another five minutes where we revisit the Baron in his cell and yeah. uh, telling the priest you know, that's the story. Then Paul comes in and it all becomes a bit weird and confused because and this point I've never realised before, because the monster has now disappeared. Mm. Does everyone think that what does everyone think? So what, what he's been, so he's he's been uh, accused for the murder of the maid. So he's yeah, tried to yes. say I didn't kill the the um the maid. It was the monster. My monster yeah. did. But but the, yeah, my uh... monster did it. So but Paul has to tell them that's true. But Paul just said he's a raven lunatic and he killed. Yeah. And that, now and... what and what I thought was and I, morality. And I, the last thing I put was I felt that like the last three minutes almost redeemed it because I thought yeah. that's actually a really interesting take because obviously yeah. he doesn't he he doesn't want to say. Yes, it's true because he hates him and he wants to see him die. But I thought, yeah. ah, what if the whole point is, is he's he's nuts? Mm, yeah. He's gone absolutely that's... mad, and he never did that. He he did none of this kind of American psycho esque. He has yeah, gone mad and killed these people. Actually. And at yeah. the end, like his former mentor and friend, is like, no, you didn't do no. this. You didn't. None Let of this hang. happened. That'd be a good yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, and I thought. Oh, that last yeah. thing was actually pretty good, and it kind of redeemed it for me a little. So that, yeah, so that kind of fits with what I said earlier, but I don't think it's mm. what they meant. Is in oh, no. that there's no here, there's no hero in the no film, hero. and Paul right. is 
Paul, Paul is just a wet lettuce. But at the end, you see him traipsing off with the, with his new 25-year-old bride. Well yeah. done. Yeah. And As we I'm hear assuming the, the, uh, the, the Von Frankenstein <laughs> fortune. Yeah. Because she, yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Exactly. Play the long game. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, exactly. Maybe this is a whole setup. He got it's him into the idea of... of um, yeah. Of, reanimation, um, reanimation and knowing full yeah. well, you know, smash the brain, you know, or I'll, I'll get, I'll get into a half-hearted fart, 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 fart. I'll get into a half-hearted half fight now, which will damage the yeah. brain. Yeah, thus scuppering his plan. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we've saved the film. There, we've talked ourselves yeah. into saving the film. In the film, <laughs> and that was the curse of Frankenstein. So, would we recommend it, guys? And what, what's our marks out of five? Oh. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I think it's it's a respected landmark, mm-hmm. but but it's also I found on this watching of it surprisingly dreary. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's good set pieces, mm. but the bits that aren't set pieces are, are, are quite dreary. Um, For me, it, it elevated um, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two because I, wow. like, I enjoyed that way more than I enjoyed. Yes. Yeah, that it, that's strange, isn't it? What what makes it a more enjoyable film when it's really compared? It's absolutely derided critically to Curse of Frankenstein. But the the plaudits will give it is you are exactly right to bring that up, and I you know I hadn't considered that, but you're quite right. People wouldn't have seen in the 1950s. They wouldn't have been had been no. had the exposure to the, like the universal one. And so, as a retelling and as the first color horror film, we've got to give it kind of kudos for that. Mm. But yeah. as you said, it is pretty dreary yeah. at the same time. Yeah, but it's and dreary also. Yeah, it's dreary also compared to like a film like the Quatermass Experiment, which oh, was God, you yeah. know, Hammer's first you know kind of genre film, which is a really brilliant film. This, mm. I was surprised, because I've seen this film millions of times, and I've always kind of enjoyed it, but on this watching, I think like you, Ross, I was just like, oh, it's it's not as fun as Stracula AD 1972. Mm-hmm. I'm mm. saying what fun is without the film actually just being like a, a silly piece of crap. It's quite difficult to quantify, mm. isn't it? Well, because I gave Dracula a two, yeah. I'm going to have to give this a one and a half. <laughs> It's a race to the I'm, bottom, unfortunately. I'm going <laughs> to go. I'm going to go for three okay. because I thought lots of parts of it were were less impressive than I remember. I was particularly disappointed with the score. Um, the art direction is great. Um, the cinematography is pretty good. The direction is okay, but I think the pacing of it is. It could probably be an hour long and be a lot better, but mm. it's not really a feature film then, is it? No. So, James, what would you give it then out of five? Well, I, I was also very pleased I didn't have to pay for it. Let's see if Amazon Prime was free. <laughs> yeah. So I think if, I, if I'd if i had to pay for it, I would have been even harsher on it. But it is, I will just go through the one. Oh, for a one. Okay. Wow. Yeah. One out yeah. of Sorry. five. Sorry. 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 Yeah. What? That's, so that's 20% out of 100%. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Wow, 20%. James. Yeah. Damn, 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 faint praise. Well, there you go. But what's what's even better is that I think I may even be able to score, as Ross said, a race to the bottom. (laughs) One of the things we're looking at soon, even lower than this. Yeah, I mean... As as we pivot to the world of literature, in inverted commas. Yeah. 
I think we, we might have to develop a, a minus a sc- scoring structure. Scoring <laughs> possible. Very possible. Okay, right, so now we're doing uh, something horrific, so where we talk about something which we've enjoyed since our last podcast, and we actually have had a, a previous podcast of this now. Mm. So I'm talking about um, something which isn't British, it's German. It's not particularly horror, however there are horrific scenes in it. People who get their heads caved in with rocks and, and things like that. Mm. Oh, um, I'm talking about a, a Netflix series called Dark. It's very good. Yeah, which I really enjoyed. It's only three seasons long, I think between yeah. 10 and 8 episodes per season. It's one of those things where you don't want to t- say too much about it to anyone you recommend it to. However, it's for me, it's kind of lost meets the killing. It's very much... Uh, it gets more and more depressing the long the as you're watching it and and very uh dark and broody and um uh, just like you please and and ominous and doom laden <laughs> uh but don't let that put you off because it's it, it looks a bit ama- like you please exactly yes. <laughs> looks amazing again looks at me <laughs> looks amazing the music is brilliant in it some excellent acting um so some of the actors in it i'm so sad i'm, I'm probably never going to see them in anything again because they're german and and and, 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 and i don't watch a lot of, they're not behind the iron curtain ross <laughs> but i don't see don't get to watch much german drama it. but you know there's a there's a, a a guy who plays a character called magnus and i said to beck if i watched this and we had a son i'd call him magnus after that oh. guy because he's just so cool um we we finished watching it last week, and I've just been listening to all the music off it nonstop. It, and it's the first time crying. Yeah, I, I, I there's been when Lost ended, um, when Matt yeah, Smith, yeah, you love Lost. When Matt Smith left yeah. Doctor Who, and when um, yeah, he loves Matt Smith. I love Matt Smith, and when um, Dark <laughs> ended, I've literally felt like someone's died in my life because it, I, I I have I have a loss to it. It's it's, it's great. I really... Stay, staying staying spoiler free entirely. It's a very yeah. sad. Swing ending, isn't it, Ross? Yeah. It's but, one that but, often, but, but, sometimes but very with TV, they, they don't know how to wrap it up. Yeah. But with that, that's I was like, point. that's a good ending. Yeah. That, that, yeah. It's that, incredibly yeah. confusing. Yeah. We spend most of our time going, who's that? How are they How are they related to that person? And I was just, I was just saying, I want to, this to, one of the reasons I wanted it to finish was so I could go and look it up on the internet to work out what the fuck happened in it. But, <laughs> but highly recommend it. It's uh, really yeah. good. First series yeah. amazing. I thought the second series lost its way a little bit, but then the third series was amazing again. Yeah, it's great. I just love it. Great. Yeah. Recommend it. it. But watch it in German rather than the English dub, which is on. Oh um, god, no, oh, okay. really? Yeah. Yeah. So um, on Netflix, mm. you can you can swap it to German, have it with subtitles. Um, mm. It's great. Watch it. James, have you got a? I horror? haven't. Um, I I haven't seen anything new this week. Uh, but Ross quite rightfully recommended that. Um, said to me, oh, I. I should flag up the uh, the BBC Radio. Po- um, it's it's a podcast series, but of course it was also on BBC. I think it was on Radio Four or Radio Four Extra, and basically it, it's the retelling of the H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories. Mm. But how they've done it? Who is the man responsible for them, Ross? What's I name? can't remember. He's a Hold doctor on. writer, isn't he? Uh, yeah. So um, so it's written by uh, this guy Julian Simpson, who's brilliant absolutely fantastic and so so it's a retelling of the lovecraft stories but then at the same time intertwining it with real life events and some kind of classic 
unsolved mysteries and things such as that. Like the Reddlesham incident with the UFO. Thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All of that. And in the latest series, the most recent pandemic, you know, the, the recent pandemic yeah. or the current mm. pandemic, I should say. Um, but What's it called, they James? have all, um, well, there has been season one is case of Charles Dexter Ward. Season two is whisper in darkness. And the final season, or the current final season, is The Shadow Over in Innsmouth. And they, they very much do it as if it's a podcast. Um, yes. It's like serial style, where yes. uh, you're, you're, um, they're you're, investigating this and you're, you're getting it episode by episode, by different points of view. Um, but they really play with the um, the genre of it. One of my favourite M.R. James stories is A Warning to the Curious, which um, you may be aware is the story of a man... Uh, called Parkin, who a uh, Paxton, not Parkin, <laughs> who um, basically digs up a crown and uh, leads to a ghostly uh, interference in his life, which leads to his demise. So I'm not talking about the story. I'm actually talking about a podcast of the curious, and they've done a two-part episode where they kind of really, really forensically go over this story and bring about some really interesting kind of theories that this uh, story, the subtext of this story is that is basically the first world war mm. and a horror of the trenches. Mm. Uh, and they, t- they talk about the fact that potentially it's set in 1917. Once you reread it with that in mind, it really, really changes the whole com- complexion of the story. Mm. And I did find that fascinating how a kind of just listening to someone else who probably knows a lot more about a subject than you do kind of uh, riff on an idea of this kind of setting for the story once you reread the story in that way it does really open up the story in a lot of of really interesting avenues uh and the rest of their podcast is brilliant as well i think there's like 80 episodes or something now and i would suggest that um Anyone with any kind of interest in any kind of horror fiction should listen to that because it's a really, really good podcast. Uh, and the inspiration for, for this podcast in some ways, cool. I like to think. Yeah. Hooray. Although we have a completely different uh, result. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. This, is quite, this is quite different, yeah. On the next episode... Uh, we will be covering, if you're playing along at home, Sapphire and Steel, Assignment 4, which the the classic 1970s sort of horror, supernatural, sci-fi, sci-fi uh, drama with uh, Jonah Lumley and the guy from The Man From U.N.C.L.E. In, which David McCallum. David McCallum. Yeah. It's uh, only four episodes long. It's I believe it's on BritBox. I need to re-turn um, oh, on my I uh, subscription. I haven't got that. However, it's also on YouTube, so you can watch it uh, on YouTube okay. illegally for free if it's still up there. Yeah, until next time, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to uh, subscribe if you haven't done so already. Um, get your friends to subscribe. Get your enemies to subscribe. Um, yeah. Get anyone. anyone to subscribe. And um, Living or dead. Living or dead, yes. <laughs> and also... Preferably dead, actually. That yeah, would be brilliant. Yeah. Uh, follow us on Twitter, General Witch One, and also we've got a uh, Patreon set up, and we are probably going to be putting some extra content on there. I've found the uh, one of the episodes of the <laughs> Dot Two podcast John and I did, <laughs> which I'm going to put up there for uh, patrons only. So um, that's the, wow. you're supposed to be enticing them to get to, <laughs> yeah. subscribe. It's the yes. only, only place you can find that on the internet. Um, so you lucky people! Lucky people! So if you if you've paid your three pounds a month, you will get you'll get access to that um, exclusive episode 
thank you very much we'll see you soon okay thank you everyone see you next time love light and peace bye you have been listening to the general witch finders support the show and continue the conversation at patreon.com forward slash general witch finders subscribe and spread the word at generalwitchfinders.com farewell and don't have nightmares catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.